Good morning once again. Turn with me in your Bible to Psalm 119. topic this morning will be on righteousness. This is used throughout this entire passage, and I'm going to read it here once again. I want to essentially take a look at the righteousness of God and make some points that are clear here in, this, in these eight verses here in Psalm 119, and then our, our goal would be to make some practical application of the, the signs or the symptoms, the characteristics of what we should have in our lives if we endeavor to be righteous men and women for the glory of God. So follow along with me as I once again read Psalm 119, beginning in verse 137. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. You have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. My zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words. Your promise is well tried. And your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is righteous forever, and your law is true. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. Please go with me once again in prayer. Father, we come now to your word, and I pray, Father, for your grace upon me, that you would sustain my voice, and that you would speak through me. Lord, use me for your glory, and I pray, Father, for the hearts here, that you would have prepared well the soil, that the word of God might fall upon good ground and bear a bountiful bountiful harvest for your glory. I would pray, Father, that you would limit the distractions of our minds this morning, that the thoughts of the coming week and all of these other things may not, may not be the prevailing thought. We might be able to focus this morning upon your word. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Psalm 119, 137 through 44. Let me open by making this statement, and I'll explain about it here in just a minute. The word of God is a direct reflection of the character of God. The Word of God is a direct reflection of the character of God. And I make that statement, and I want to point this out, because this is, a, is a, a contrast very much so to the way that we think. For instance, when we are in a conversation with somebody, a lot of times we can know, and we oftentimes think subtly, that what they're saying may not exactly be what they're thinking or who they are. And we get this phrase, they said that, but I know they really meant this. They said that, but I know they were really trying to say such and such. They said that, but I know what they really were thinking was this. And a lot of times we're wrong and and sometimes we may be right. But we, we go around thinking that what we're hearing from somebody else is really coming out of their mouth. It's probably not really what is here. And we make this switch in our brains about really getting 
knowing that that may not be what they're really thinking. Because our hearts are prone to hypocrisy. We're prone to be deceivers. We're prone to sin. We're prone to pride. And so we, we, we think that way about what other people are saying because we know that when we're saying something, if we were honest with ourselves, that oftentimes that may not be the true inclination of our heart. I'm commanded to stand here and, and preach the word. Do I have these things down as well as I would hope to preach them? No, I do not. And I'm striving along right along with you all to implement these into my life. And you know that. But at times we approach with that mindset scripture, don't we? God says this, but he probably meant this. God doesn't really want us to do that. I mean, that's a little, that was cultural back in that time, and that doesn't apply to today. It's a different, a different world that we live in, so it's a little culturally irrelevant, and we kind of have to move it over to what really we think God's really trying to tell us. You see how that, that shift about how we deal with others goes to Scripture? It becomes a... Of this, the word becomes a cultural faux pas and we begin to conform it and bend it around to what we think God is really trying to say. And the problem is obviously not with God and what he's trying to say. The problem is with us not wanting to conform ourselves to what scripture is saying. But the, the statement I began with, the word of God is a direct reflection of the character of God. And this is what we're going to get into. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. What God's word is, is not different than who God is. It's a direct reflection. So you can't take it and twist it. You can't take it and shift it. You can't take it and interpret it according to what you think it is. Because you are redefining who God is. And as we talked about in first light, that becomes idolatry. You're setting up a, your own version of who you think God is. Webster's co- uh, Collegiate Dictionary for Righteousness would be acting rightly or upright according to what is right or arising from an outraged sense of justice or morality. Matthew Henry gives this declaration on the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God, the infinite rectitude, which would mean morally correct behavior or thinking, The righteousness of God, the infinite rectitude and perfection of his nature. As he is what he is, so he is what he should be, and in everything acts as becomes him. There is nothing wanting, nothing amiss in God. His will is the eternal rule of equity, and he is righteous, for he does all according to it. He is truth. So what comes from the pages of Scripture is, from, is the heart of God. It was given to us by God. It is who He is. It is His desire for us. And there's nothing different from that than who God is. He is righteous. Therefore, this Bible is righteous. Therefore, when we come to the pages of Scripture, we should approach it with the same awe that we should approach before God. We're approaching His throne. We're approaching His words. And these are as, as relevant now as they were when they were originally written, because God never changes. And he is the same yesterday as he is today, and he will be tomorrow. Let's look at four truths of God's righteousness found in Psalm 119, 137 through 44. Here's the first one found in 137. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. God is righteous. 
and his son is righteous. This is pivotal to the gospel. Because if God was not righteous, he could not impute his righteousness upon us. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made him who knew no sin to be righteousness upon our behalf. We only gain access through the righteousness of Christ to the throne of God. There is no other way given among men by which we must be saved. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is righteous and only through him do we gain access to a relationship with God the Father. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. And oh, we are grateful that God is righteous. Because what about if he wasn't? And he was a smidgen unrighteous. And he dealt with you 99% of the time in righteousness. And then there would be that hour or two every once in a while. It would slip in and he would deal with you in unrighteousness. And you wouldn't see another hour. The wrath of God poured out would be quite uncomfortable. But God deals with us in righteousness because he is righteous. Now, second one, you see right there in 137 again, the first one would be God is righteous and is his son. The second one would be in 137, and right are your rules. God's decree is righteous. God's rules are right. So, Young people, this is not, we don't, we don't obey God's rules because they work. That's a good reason. Because they're physically better for you. That's a good reason. Because they're, they culturally work better. That's a good reason. But we obey it because they're right. They're the right thing to do. It's right for you to guard your heart. It's right for you to guard your eyes. It's right because if you're going to worship God who is righteous then for you to be righteous through the imputed righteousness of Christ, if you're to reflect that, you're to do what he has given because that's what he would do and we're to be like him. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. Number three, found in verse 138. You've appointed your testimonies in righteousness. His testimonies were, impo- were appointed in righteousness. And if you have the King James, it would say in, in, that are very faithful. My version would say in all faithfulness. These testimonies are right, not just for right now, but they're also faithfully righteous for the future. Not just his promises, but also his decrees. You've appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. Charles Spurgeon says this, not only the precepts, but the promises also are commanded of the Lord, and so are all the teachings of Scripture. You've appointed. There's this, there's this thought of royalty here. There's an appointment by the King of kings and Lord of lords. These shall be righteous. And so are all the teachings of Scripture. It is not left to our choice whether we will accept them or no. It's not your choice whether you, and it's not anyone else's choice, whether it's they, if they would desire to accept God's word or not. It's not their choice. It's been commanded and decreed. Who cares what they, whether or not they want to choose it? It is the word of God. It is righteous. They are issued by royal command and are not to be questioned. Their, their characteristic is that they are like the Lord who has proclaimed them 
They are the essence of justice and the soul of truth. God's word is righteous and cannot be impeached. It is faithful and cannot be questioned. It is true from the beginning and it will be true until the end. Charles Spurgeon, unquote. So you, can't, you, can, you can take this and toss this into the gutter, but it makes it no less relevant for your life. It is the word of God and it is righteous. And his words have been proclaimed in righteousness at the appointed time they were proclaimed and they will continue to be righteous and very faithful for all of eternity. And very, we, we must be overjoyed that, they're faith, that they will be very faithful, that they will accomplish their purpose for which he has set them out to be. Number four, God is righteous would be the number one and his son. Number two, God's decree is righteous. Number three, his testimonies were appointed in righteousness. These are all truths of God and his righteousness. And then number four, God's righteousness is righteous forever. It's almost, it's almost a double positive. God's righteousness is righteous forever. You see this in 142 and 144. Your righteousness is righteous forever and your law is true in 144. Your testimonies are righteous forever. They're not only right, they're rightly right. They're not only truth, they're the standard of truth. God is not only righteous, he is, the, he is the embodiment and the epitome of righteousness. And therefore, his word is. So we approach, if we can understand God, which we can't, but if we can gain a deeper understanding of him and his righteousness, this limits our ability to approach anything in scripture that has to do with anything in life in a flippant manner. Because you approach scripture going, I'm dealing with something very sacred here to the point that he sent his son to die for this so I, I can't deal with this flippantly this is this is truth and i've got to conform my life to this it is right because he is righteous there is no there's no possible excuse ability for me to take another route i've got to do this or i will not be walking in righteousness those are four truths of God's righteousness. Now, I want to give some signs of a righteous man. And I think I have seven or eight of these that are coming out of Psalm 119, 137 through 44. I'm going to give some signs, according to this, of what a righteous man would be about. <clears throat> and later I'm going to give, go throughout other passages of Scripture of characteristics of a righteous man. So... You can take a look at this passage of 137, 144. And as we go through these, I would encourage you to be examining your heart and going, is this me? Do I have this? And then we will get into other characteristics that we can develop. This is an extremely broad subject. We could obviously go much deeper than we are going to go this morning. But let's go through what the passage gives us here and look at what are some characteristics or some signs, what are the signs of a righteous man? And I think I have seven or eight of these. Number one. Righteous are you, O Lord. Now, in the Hebrew, he's using the word Jehovah, and he uses it very rarely in, in all of Psalm 119. He uses O Lord, but it's very rarely in the context of Jehovah, which was the, as Christopher said a couple of weeks ago, pretty much the, the consummation, the culmination, the, the highest pinnacle of the word to use for worship. And he doesn't use it flippantly. He uses it very rarely in Psalm 119. So my first point is this. 
a sign of a righteous man is he has a reverence for the name of God. He has a reverence for the name of God. How do you use the name of God? Is it flippant? Oh, God. Or is it, is it with reverence and awe and fear? R.C. Sproul Jr. said one time that if, you're, if your definition of fear of God begins with something like, now it really doesn't mean then you've got fear of God the wrong way. It should mean a fear of God. Not just a reverence and an awe, but really I'm not going to fear Him. No, you should fear God. Because that's what will drive you to be what He has commanded you to be. Righteous are you, O Lord. You have a, a reverence for the name of God. And that shouldn't just be in your own life and in your own words. It should be in your family. It should be what you allow in your home that is talking about the name of God, what is in the music, what is in the conversation. And then when you're in conversation with others, believers or unbelievers, how do you allow God's name to be treated? Is it, do you allow it to just be used as a swear word? Are you, are you willing to say, you know, the God I serve is, is mighty. And, and I would appreciate it if you would not use that in such a, a flippant manner. Do you understand what you're saying? If you want to transition to preach the gospel and share the gospel with somebody, there's a great transition because almost every word out of many people's mouths, there's this explanation of a, of a flippancy with the name of God. There's so many words that are used in today's language, even among Christians that have a flippancy of the name of God. A righteous man, a sign of a righteous man, or a sign of a righteous woman we have a reverence for the name of God. Number two, found in 139. My zeal consumes me. A sign of a righteous man, would he would have a zeal for the things of God. It, 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 it's not just a, a desire or a passion or a longing. It's, a, it's something that consumes him. Not just his, his thoughts, but his time is consumed with the things of God. Be a sign of a righteous man. But it goes even deeper. Look at 140. Your promise is well tried and your servant loves it. Number three, a sign of a righteous man would be a love for the things of God. Not just a zeal. You can have a zeal for many things and not have a love for it. But you have a love for the things of God. Number 141 would be the fourth. We've gotten a reverence for the name of God, a zeal for the things of God, a love for the things of God, how about 141? I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. A humble understanding, a sign of a righteous man would be a humble understanding of your existence. Do you see yourself as higher than you ought to be? Before the, before the throne of God, a humble understanding of your existence. Charles Spurgeon says, how many a man has been driven to do some ill action in order to reply to the contempt of his enemies. To make himself conspicuous, he has either spoken or acted in a manner which he could not justify. So what he's saying here is, a, a righteous man is not going to go outside of his character to make himself look better than he ought. So I'm in a group of friends, and they're talking about something that I 
disapprove of and don't condone in my life. And I'm going to talk about and enjoy, feign enjoyment so that I can be lifted to a higher place in this circle of friends. That's not a righteous man. A righteous man understands those are not the things of God. I can't do that. I can't shift my value system according to those that are around me so that I'll be seen in a manner that looks better in other people's eyes. That's pride. Charles Spurgeon, how many a man, how often, how many times has a man been driven to do some ill action in order to reply to the contempt of his enemies? Young people, how oftentimes do we do something so that we can be we can be accepted or gain another friend or be more popular or have the right vocabulary that will, will put us in that certain group that is outside of what we know is right. To make himself conspicuous, he has either spoken or acted in a manner which he could not justify. A righteous man does not do those things. A righteous man understands, has a humble understanding of his existence. Number five, found in 141, I do not forget your precepts. A righteous man, a sign of a righteous man would be he has a memory for the things of God. His, his thoughts go to God. When, when he is feeling small and despised, his thoughts go to God. When a situation arises that is outside of his control and it's dire in, in circumstance, he his thoughts go to the promises of God. When faced with whether it's an, an elevation in life, meaning things are going well, or a deflation, things are going bad, his thoughts go to God. A righteous man has a, has a memory for the things of God. Now here's a paradox, number six in 143. A, righteous, a sign of a righteous man is he has a delight for the things of God. And there's a paradox here because you see in 143, trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. We've seen that a righteous man has a love for the things of God and a zeal for the things of God, but he, he doesn't just stop there. He delights in these things, but he's got at the same time trouble and anguish going on. And that's a paradox that only Christians can understand. Oh, my sin Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. You're burdened with your sin, and yet you delight in, oh, but God can, God can do that work within me. Oh, man, I'm, I'm burdened. You saw, we talked about this last time we went through 119, beginning of this month, 136, my eyes shed streams of tears. I'm burdened for the gospel. I'm burdened that the gospel will go to these people to the point of tears, and yet I, re, I rejoice, I delight. And the world doesn't understand this. How at times we, we're so troubled and burdened in soul and yet we're delighted. And, and a righteous man, when he is troubled and anguished, finds delight in God rather than takes his soul to find delight in something else that would lift him out of that trouble and anguish. You know, when you're feeling depressed, when you're feeling discouraged, when you're feeling undone, when you're feeling unwise, you're not quite sure where to make this next turn in life, what do you do? Do you go veg? Do you, you go do something that appeases you? Or do you find delight in the things of God? A righteous man does these things. 
Last one, number seven. Number 144, verse 144, your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. Uh, The sign of a righteous man is he has a desire for the things of God. The psalmist has gone through the entire passage here. And yet at the very end, what is he asking? Give me understanding that I may live. He understands all these things and yet he's asking for more understanding. And this, this life that he's asking for, this desire for life is not just eternal life. It's spiritual life and it's physical life. There's a threefold strand here. Give me understanding that I may live. So that when we live according to God's righteous decrees, physically life goes better for us. It's been well documented by many medical personnel that those who are deeply steeped in bitterness and hatred and unforgiveness, they have many physical problems. Teeth decay, headaches, back problems. I've known men that have walked in hidden sin for years They repented and and aches and pains. I know one man, he couldn't bend over. He had so much unbelievable back pain. Hidden sin. Came out of hidden sin and he was like a gymnast. He could move all over the place, touch his toes, do things he hadn't been able to do for years because of the wear and tear on his body that had come from not obeying God. So there's, give me understanding, I live, there's a physical um, blessing there of life that this uh, a righteous man is going to desire and he's also going to desire it spiritually because his soul will be at peace. We sang many hymns this morning that talked about peace. Well, peace only comes when we're in obedience to God, when we're in obedience to his righteous rules. And when we're in obedience, then do you gain peace. So there's this spiritual uh, aspect of life there and then obviously there's the eternal aspect that comes from knowing God. Life eternal. Seven characteristics or seven signs of a righteous man. A reference, a reverence for the name of God, 137. A zeal for the things of God, 139. A love for the things of God, 140. A humble understanding of your existence, 141. A memory for the things of God, 141. A delight for the things of God, 143. And a desire for the things of God, 144. Those should be the signs but that, that should then leave us with this question. There seems to be then a difference between just a Christian and a man who is, who is living out and embodying righteousness. Because you can backslide, right? We know this. You can backslide in your faith. So there's this difference. So what makes you a righteous man? If these are the signs, what's going to make you this, this righteous individual? And we, we, we've got to begin understanding that David had a man after God's own heart, so he was a man of righteousness. He was a man of integrity. Integrity means a yearning for God's heart. There's this heart that is longing to do that which is God. But what characterizes a righteous man? Let's go through Scripture. Psalm 37, flip there with me. You could look at these as signs. You could look at these as characteristics. These may be easier as characteristics simply because you could flip to one of these passages and we're going to flow through a couple of them here and, and take time to study and memorize them and seek to make practical application in your own life. You could do those certainly with the signs, but sometimes it's easier to say, well, this is what I should be doing, so this is what I'm going to begin doing by memorizing the scripture and applying it to my life. 
Psalm 37, and beginning in verse 21. And we're going to go to a couple verses, two verses here in 37, and then we'll move to a different passage of Scripture. Psalm 37, 21. The wicked borrows, but does not pay back. The righteous is generous and gives. Now go to one more in uh, Psalm 37 there. It would be verse 30. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. We pull this up here in the King James. Verse 21. The wicked borroweth and payeth not again, but the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. The wicked borroweth but not, does not pay back, but the righteous is generous and gives. A characteristic of a righteous man. If you want to be a righteous man, you would show mercy and give. You'd have compassion upon others. Do, you have, do we have compassion upon others? We, they're going through a difficult situation. Do we have compassion upon them? Do we have compassion upon the unrighteous? Sometimes it's easy to look at the unrighteous and go, you deserve that. Or do we have compassion upon them? That would be the character, a characteristic of a righteous man. Character uh, Has compassion. Shows mercy and gives. Verse 30. His mouth speaks wisdom and his tongue talks of judgment. I said at the beginning, the word of God is a direct reflection of the character of God. And that oftentimes what comes out of our mouths, we know is not a direct reflection of our own character. And, and many of these verses we're going to go through is going to talk about the mouth. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if we know something's coming out, we've got we've to go to what is really coming out of our heart or is we, are we being hypocrites? A lot of times it's those, those moments when we're not trying to look good and something comes out of our mouth. We say something. Oh, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. No, you did. you did. You did mean to say that. That was out of your heart. That was the overflow of your heart. Check your heart. So the first two characteristics would be he shows mercy and gives, has compassion there. And verse 30, his mouth speaks wisdom and his tongue talks of judgment. His tongue is speaking truth. Go to Proverbs 10. Another characteristic, verse 11. Not only is his mouth speaking wisdom and judgment... Verse 10 of, verse 11 of Proverbs 10, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked, here's the the contra, here's the opposite, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. So not only are you speaking the right things, when you speak to people, they're encouraged, they're strengthened, they they have life pumped into them. Proverbs 12 a few pages over, verse 5. Shows mercy, speaks wisdom, talks of judgment, mouth is a well of life, builds up, encourages, directs others toward Christ. But in Proverbs 12, 5, the thoughts, so not, not just the words, but the thoughts of the righteous are just, the counsels of the wicked are deceit. He has the right thoughts, thoughts that are according to Philippians, pure and lovely and of good report. So how, how are your thoughts these days? Are they worrisome? Are they anxious? Are they fearful? Are they discouraged? Are they just? Are they truth? Proverbs 13. 
Verse 5. The righteous hates falsehood, but the wicked brings shame and disgrace. Do you hate lying? Do you hate untruth? Do you hate when, when the word of God is twisted in an untrue way? Do you hate when you turn on the radio or on the television and untruth is being spoken? Do you hate that? We should hate that which is not true. We should hate that which lies. The righteous hate falsehood. Hates falsehood. And that's not a, "Mm, I sort of dislike it. No, that's a hatred. That's a righteous indignation. That is a desire to not see that happen. Proverbs 21. Verse 26. Verse 25 says, The desire of the sluggard kills him. Proverbs 21, 25, The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor all day long. Verse 26, he craves and craves, meaning he he wants, he only wants to be given to and get. What's the opposite? The righteous gives and does not hold back. A giving person is a man of righteousness, not just in a monetary giving, giving of the time and talents and abilities. Do you desire to give of yourself to others? That would be a characteristic of a righteous person. That's why most of the hospitals, that's why most of the charitable organizations, a lot of times when you go to a a disaster organization, most of them are Christians. Why? This verse right here. A righteous person wants to give. The wicked want to get and be pulled into pull things into them. Proverbs 28. Verse 1. The wicked flee when no one pursues. Go preach the gospel on a street corner and you'll have hecklers from about 100 feet away and they'll yell at you and then you'll just turn and leave. Why? Why? The wicked flee and no one pursues. They run from it. They can't handle it. But the righteous are bold as a lion. You can go to Psalm 3. And where it talks about, there's this, David's surrounded by 10,000 people. And yet he does not fear. That are set against him all around. So there's, there's physical battles and there's spiritual battles. And there's emotional battles. There's these battles that we fight all the time. We're in a battle. We know this according to Ephesians 6. But the righteous are bold as a lion, knowing that God alone holds them, keeps them, sustains them, and they cannot be taken unless God wills it. This was was very much the key to the Reformation, is men understood the sovereignty of God and the realization that God had a firm hold upon their life and they could be bold to preach and to speak the truth. And no one could take their life unless God wanted them take that life. And we very much need bold, righteous men and women these days. Righteous are bold as a lion. Last one. There's so many more we could go to. But let's go to James 5. Verse 
James 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer, or some translations say the effectual prayer, the fervent prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So a characteristic of a righteous person would be a love for prayer, a man of prayer. Are you a person that desires to pray? And pray often. Now let's go back to Psalm 119. So we've looked at the four truths of God's righteousness. God is righteous. God's decree is righteous. His testimonies were imported and pointed in righteousness. God's righteousness is righteous forever. We looked at some signs of a righteous man. We've looked at some characteristics of a righteous man. In the Psalms there, in Proverbs, and James, you could go to many others. But the, the, the challenge that is really before us, if, if this is the character and nature of God that is at the very core of who He is, then the challenge before us is very simply, we must be like that or we are, according to Revelation, lukewarm. Be ye holy as I am holy. You could, you could take that to be ye righteous as I am righteous. And it's not sort of there's some right and there's some wrong. No, it's all for the glory of God. It's all according to his ways. It's taking scripture and approaching it with the understanding that this alone is the instruction manual that will give me the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to be righteous for the glory of God. And even that I will fall short and yet... God has imputed his righteousness to us by his son's death upon the cross. And so today when we have baptism in a little while, there will be many that will profess their belief in Christ and confess their Lord as Savior, not because of anything that they have done or because of the water that they will go down into or come out of, but it is because of the, the righteousness of Christ that has been given them. And now they desire out of love for him and a desire to conform themselves to the image of Christ to be righteous. And so they're going to make that as a public testimony. That's what baptism will be doing, what we'll be doing today during baptism. So I encourage, I, I challenge you, I encourage you, see, see the glory of God in this passage, the righteousness of God. And yet also challenge yourself, examine yourself to find where that righteousness is is not being manifested. Those crevices, those, those idolatrous places within our own lives where we desire to, to keep that back over here and that's just for me and my little pleasures and yet we've not, we're inhibiting the righteousness of God from flowing in its full strength and glory through our lives that others may see and be drawn to God. Let's pray. Father, we... We magnify your name. We magnify you. And we thank you that you are righteous and that your righteousness is very faithful. Father, give us understanding of these complex matters. 
Give us an understanding of these truths that are seem to be so simple to cross the, over the lips and yet so deep in their understanding. And may we may we be stirred by the realist by, by the reality of our unrighteousness of our of the of the sinful tendencies the unrighteous tendencies of our heart and yet your righteousness covered us by the blood of your son and you you've you've paid the debt that was 10,000 million billion times more than we could ever have repaid our unrighteousness caused that and yet and yet you paid it and may we understand lord that your righteousness is right it is it is tremendous and will be forever and ever and may we desire lord to conform ourselves to that may we go to scripture with a, with a desire to conform ourselves to this word, realizing that that is your character and we are conforming ourselves to your image. May your name be praised. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen.